the project. Kuwait. Learn. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Project. And in today's episode, I get to sit down with Maxine and Jared. We sit down and talk about everything physiotherapy. We hit on a lot of different topics from myofascial release and what you could be doing right and what you could be doing wrong to hypermobility, hyperflexibility, back pain, shoulder pain. We dive into so many different topics. I guarantee you there's something for everyone in this episode. And please feel free to shoot us a DM with any of your questions. All this and more in today's episode. Hey, everybody. We have two physiotherapists in the room. Hopefully they agree on their points or disagree. It's all good. It's a power couple. Maxine and Jarrett, right? Yeah. I said that right. That's correct. Yeah. All right, cool. Two physios here based here in Kuwait, both booked all the time. I try to get appointments with you and I never do. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, how are you guys doing today? Yeah, good. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, maybe just to clarify one thing. So, Maxine is obviously in the, the physiotherapy role and my role is a little bit different. The title is, so I work at DISC. Okay. Um, but the title is movement therapist. Oh, okay. That's yeah. awesome. All um, right. All so, right. it's more closer to the realm of like kinesiology or biokinetics. So specifically focused on movement as part of the rehab program. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. See, that's a lot better than someone sticking needles in you all day. Yeah. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> Bad cop, good cop. Yes. <laughs> so what, they see you first and then go over to Jared? Yes. Or do they see Jared first and then go over to you? Me first. Me you first. Fir you first. So they get the pain and then they… Uh, yes. Yeah, exactly. They get the pain relief after that. Yeah. Well, speaking of movement, I mean, we could dive right into it. I mean, I guess we'll start with you, Maxine. Yes. When you're assessing a client, yeah. what are some of the first things that you assess in a client? I mean, I've had my sessions with you and yeah. you, know, you did the full assessment. Yeah. You know, basically said your shoulder's all messed up. <laughs> it's messing this up. And then you're over here, your alignment's off with your back. So why don't you talk about your assessments a little bit? Okay. So firstly, I start with pretty much a postural analysis just to see if the thoracic spine or the lumbar spine is affecting any of your issues. Then I check all the ranges of motion just to check if the back, if we're talking about the back specifically, the flexion of the back, then the extension of the back, the lateral flexion, rotation, just to see if all the ranges coincide. If they don't, then I'll know that there's some muscles affecting that and continuing from there. Then I'll just check the muscle length. So I'll check your hip flexors, your hamstrings, all of that just to see if it's affecting the back as well. And then I'll do more specific assessment on the spine. So I'll just check every level of the lumbar spine. So I'll 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and then S1 because it also affects. And then hip range, it all affects the back. After that, then I'll do some palpation. So you have to feel the muscles. You have to feel the spine. If the spine's not moving fluidly, or if that's the right yeah, word, yeah. yeah. Yep. Or if the muscles have trigger points in them, then you can see where actual problems are coming from. That's where a lot of the problems come from where doctors miss these days is that they aren't physically touching the patient. And we need to assess a patient properly by first looking, feeling, and moving to get a good sense of an assessment. Okay. And always on the first assessment, you're just getting a general assessment. You can get more specific throughout the treatment process. But I do think that it's important to get through everything first to be able to continue from there. I think what's really valid from what you mentioned is that nowadays there are a lot of gimmicky products that are coming out. 
And what a lot of people are trying to justify is that they don't need to see a physical therapist because they might have some tool which can solve the problem, which unfortunately is just not true. You need someone with experience who knows what they're doing. You need uh, someone with hands-on approach to actually feel and to palpate as Maxine was saying. So you have to feel the person to really understand what's going on. So whilst you can use things like hypervolts, electrical stimulation, like they can all be beneficial for sure. But if you're doing a first-time assessment, you need someone with hands-on experience. They need to be actually assessing you with movement, with palpations. And I think that's really, really valid nowadays, especially with a lot of new gimmicky kind of products coming out. So I think it's very important that people understand that if they are struggling with some sort of injury or pain, that they at least need an initial assessment. And then they can go from there, depending on obviously what the findings are. I would say that they can use a Thera gun and the Hypervolt for their own recovery after training and stuff like that, just to get some relief. But they do need to, if they have an injury, per yeah. se, they will need to get it. For sure, like muscle company. stiffness and things like that. You, yeah. you, you can recover it, whatever's the best way for you. Everyone's got their own means of recovery, ice baths or hypervolts. Or... Yeah. But I mean, I've been doing some research on it. And, yeah. you know, I've seen, oh, myofascial release, myofascial release. And I think people get confused because myofascial is actually really tight and you can't really release it. You can sort of disrupt the muscular connection or the neural pathway, so to speak, which releases the muscle. Yeah. But it's never going to really release that myofascia. I mean, would you guys agree with that? Or Because there's a lot saying the gun thing. Like, yeah. oh yeah, it releases your myofascia. And yeah. if you've seen it, like there's a YouTube where a guy pulls it off of a, yeah. a, a dead corpse. Mm. Exactly. And if you look at it, it's like, dude, you're not releasing that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so. So I would say for, if it says it's trying to release myofascia, muscles and fascia are completely different. That's good. Can you dive into that a yeah. little bit? That would yeah. be good for people to know. So the fascia surrounds the muscles and connects the body pretty much all together. Whereas the muscles are from muscle, tendon to bone. That's how it works. Then the fascia surrounds that. So I specifically release muscles. Fascia is so complex that if someone, they need to be very experienced to be talking about fascia and your fascial lines and all of that. I always stick to basics. So all the principles are release a muscle, lengthen the muscle, and then the fascia will coincide with that because it's just surrounding the area. But if you're talking about neural tension as well, you would release the muscles and the fascia around those nerve roots to relieve pain from that cause. I think in terms of what you said about theraguns or to be honest, even deep tissue massage to an extent, it's not actually, you're not changing the fiber. More than anything, you might be having a, a neural effect. So you potentially releasing what you might be think as release, you're actually having like a neural response. So by you putting, let's say pain to a certain area, the body's going to adapt to what that pain feels like. So the next time you go through that massage or you use a theragun, your body's more tolerable to it because it's an organism. So it's adapting to the stress. So more than anything, it's maybe just having a sensory response to that. I don't think you're actually changing the structure of the body. The way that you will change the structure is by doing trigger point release. So you know, when you get the elbow into that muscle and you feel that pain referring up either up or down, you wait for that for 30 seconds. That will change the muscle tissue. So, so to summarize it, the trauma to the muscle or to the muscle that's holding on too tight, yeah. the trauma to that is what gives a signal to the brain saying, hey, we're doing something wrong here, just release it. And yeah. then it releases. So it's like you dry needled my arm once. Yeah. This one little needle just released my entire arm. 
Exactly. And it was yeah. like, oh, what happened there? And it was a release that went all the way down. And that's just neurological. The muscles just holding on too tight. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Now, from a movement perspective, though, sometimes our muscles will hold on too tight because our body's saying, we need to do this because we don't want to get injured. Can you jump into that a little bit? Like, how does that work? Because the other day I was working out, for instance, and my right bicep was tight. Yeah. And it was tight for about a good 10, 15 minutes throughout all my movements. I'd been doing a lot of pull-ups. So I've got a ball, kind of released it a little bit, felt a little bit better, and I continued on with my workout. Why does it tighten up and tell my body, hey, let's tighten up to protect this part, this area? Yeah. And then why does it release so that I can go through the workout? Yes. I think the word that you used there was really important was protect. It's protective response. And it's again, it's very neurological because if something's getting a little bit tighter uh, or you feel it is tighter, this is just your way that your body's trying to protect you from a potential injury. And I think what you're doing with the release work beforehand is again, as we said earlier, we're creating a sensory response. So you're not actually lengthening the muscle. So you're not reducing that tightness, but you're having an effect, a neurological effect, which is basically sending that message to the brain, right? To say that the area is actually okay. And a good way to kind of get yourself back into it would be gradually. So work to a, a tolerance level. So let's say you're struggling with maybe some shoulder discomfort. You're not going to go straight back into the gym and start lifting maybe what you were doing beforehand. But what you'll do is gradually build yourself back up to where you were. And at the moment, the research is kind of pointing us all in that direction that we know with strength-related work, this is where we're going to see our greatest response. It's really important that we work hand-in-hand hand with the physios. So the physios will get someone back pain-free. And we've got to get them back to a confidence level where they can get back to lifting from beforehand. So it's a lot of it to do with psychological effects, neural effects. I don't think we Technique. can say... Yeah. I don't think we can say yet that we are having that much effect on the structure of the body. I don't think we're changing it that much. I think more of it is, is psychological, neural. If we can have an effect on those two components, then we can get someone back to where they were beforehand, before that injury occurred. That makes sense. And Maxine, I think you said, like you said it in a very low voice. <laughs> and it was such a key word when you said technique. Yeah. And we hear that as a buzzword that you were talking about earlier with the tools. But it's another buzzword. Everyone's saying technique, technique, technique. But what a lot of these idiot trainers, and I'm going to say <laughs> idiot trainers, they already hate me anyway, it's cool. But what they always say is technique, technique. But in reality, Every single human being is built differently, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. we can agree on that, that, yeah. you know, my hip flexors may attach at a shorter angle or yeah. my femur sits differently than something else. And we talked about this before in my sessions. Yeah. And I'm hyper flexible yeah. with my arms. My elbows are hyper flexible. That's probably why I have, I'm more susceptible to injuries. Yeah. So can you guys talk about the whole buzz around technique and perfect posture and perfect this, perfect that? Yeah. Yes. I think we've got to throw the term perfect out the window. Yeah. Um, th there's no <laughs> such thing. As you rightfully said, everyone's slightly different. I don't think there's any such perfect technique out there. We've got guidelines to follow, right? We know we should be bracing certain muscles in certain positions to put some structural areas which are more prone to injury, obviously at a reduced risk of being injured. So those things are important. But again, what we've seen at the moment with some of the new research coming out is that deadlifts are always a big one, right? Yeah. So everyone's, yep. everyone's always speaking about deadlifting with a kind of neutral position. You want that straight back. But Stuart McGill, who's kind of the big back guy, he talks a lot about if you've been deadlifting your whole life in a flex position, your body's adapted to it's, that it's, flex yeah. position. Those muscles are ready for it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But that's fine for someone who's been doing that since the beginning. Yeah. But you get a new guy coming in to train and his body is not conditioned to any kind of strength work, and he goes straight into that flex position to lift, there's a good chance he's going to be a candidate for being injured. So yeah, 
I think that technique is important to a certain degree. We yeah. know certain positions can obviously be a little bit more friendly on the body. So obviously, yeah, that's why people are still pushed to lifting in the correct way. But it is a tricky one because we see a lot of big bodybuilders, weightlifters. They don't necessarily have the best technique and they're lifting these, these really heavy weights. But again, who's not to say that somewhere down the line, later on, they're going to be guys who are struggling a lot with some sort of bone-related injuries. So we don't know that 100%. Yeah, but I would also say is that a deadlift in a rehab setting compared to a deadlift on the powerlift yeah, platform very good point. is a very different deadlift. So you use it in the powerlifting setting, you'll be using everything you can pretty much to get the bar up. But in rehab, you want to correct that technique so that you can lift properly with heavier weight. So you don't want to be lifting yeah. light weights at a bad... Because you'll see that the powerlifters, if they lifted lighter weight, their technique would be better. Yeah. But as soon as it, yeah. the heavy, heavy weight comes into play, that's when they're kind of flexing the back, it's, using yeah, it's, the quads, it's, it's core, very, everything. very yeah. sport-specific. So yeah. If you take something like a baseball action, this is abnormal. It's not it's supposed to happen. But these guys have trained themselves and they've got conditioned to the level that they're able to go under this much stress in a typical baseball season. So, yeah, your point is really valid. It's so dependent on the individual and sports-specific as well. Yeah. So, can we say athletes, so to speak, are probably the best cheaters out there of their own body? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you just want to, like for swimming, for me, you want to get to the other side of the pool. You don't care how you're going to get there. But when you're training, you care about your technique to get faster with less strokes, that kind of thing. But in the race, it's out the window. But what you've learned and what you've done, what you've trained is instilled. So I, I think, think, yeah. He brought up a really good point. Specifically, I think with deadlifting and other weight-related movements, I yeah. think that's a great point to bring up because you'll see the guy that's sort of deadlifting and it looks like a dog taking a shit, basically. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I think that hyperflexion, is that the right word? You yeah. guys are the physiotherapist. Yeah, yeah. So if, if I throw out a term and I'm wrong, just correct me, all right? <laughs> Call me out. It's cool. That hyperflexion, that I think that would be dangerous, correct? Yeah. Where you're just kind of just curled completely over. But when you look at a power lifter who has that little bit of curvature in the lower back, so we could kind of agree that that's okay. In general, that's okay because they're competing in a max lift or something yeah. along those lines. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's okay for that person who's trained that way. That Their body's conditioned and strong enough to be able to handle the load even in a slightly, what we would consider a slightly imperfect position. But yeah, if we're going to take the average sedentary person, which let's be honest, in Kuwait is probably majority of the population, then yeah, I would say for them, technique is probably quite important. Very important because especially in Kuwait, not growing up, moving around a lot, yeah. Yeah. You don't have that inner core stability. You don't have those key basics around the spine, around the shoulder joint, the hip joint. Everything is too mobile and not enough stability is maintained here. Yeah. Maybe just branching off on what you mentioned there. Something that I've realized a lot since I've been working here is we know there's a genetic component for sure when it comes to stability and mobility. This is kind of where I'm just laughing because I've been talking about this a lot you're, recently. You're the second physiotherapist that's been on here that brought up a point similar to this, yeah. by the way. Actually, you might be the third, and to be honest with you. we've talked about we this have, as Yeah, well. we definitely have. Yeah, we so have talked like, about it. Um, yeah, so Jennifer, she was on here and she brought up this point. We talked about it in, in yeah. depth. So I'm, I'm glad. I'm interested to hear your perspective on it. Yeah, so something I've noticed a lot is 
a lot of clients that come in, or rather patients that come in and see me, present with high degrees of mobility, uh, joint laxity. And one thing I always ask them is like, what have you been doing for the discomfort? And they go, oh, I've been doing a lot of stretching, which is probably the worst thing to do. Yeah. You take someone who's hypermobile, you're trying to add more mobility to something that's already mobile. So they should just be doing... If they're stretching the joint. If they're stretching the joint, yeah. They would be better off doing a ton of stability and strength work. So you tend to see, and this comes back to that protective tension. So let's say, for example, someone's really hypermobile on the shoulder. Quite often, not always the case, they'll be complaining of some sort of neck pain. They always tend to be stretching their upper traps. They're trying to pull the shoulder down the whole time. And what's probably happened is upper traps and some of those bigger muscle groups around the shoulder are really tight because they're trying to protect the shoulder joint. So it might be some of the stabilizers or the smaller muscles like the rotator cuff, which actually aren't strong enough. So it's more a case of trying to strengthen the muscles which aren't doing enough of the work as opposed to keep stretching out the muscles which they might feel as being tight, which in reality actually aren't tight at all. Mm. And I think that's something really important. It's something that I'm still trying to drill home with all my patients is, guys, what's stretching is obviously beneficial for some people. It's not for everyone. And I think everyone's kind of grown up hearing that, oh, if there's some tightness or pain, just stretch, stretch it out, which in some cases can be the worst thing to do. So to add on to that, a weak muscle can be a very tight muscle. Yeah. And it can be a long muscle. And a short muscle can be a strong muscle and it can be a weak muscle. So it's very complicated and you have to really assess around the joint, above the joint, below the joint to see what the actual situation is. So that's why when, like if we go back to the beginning, that's why an important assessment is needed so that the person isn't just self-treating and actually making it worse. Well, you're only as good as your weakest link. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to throw this back in the direction of baseball because yeah. you know, I'm, 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 I'm a ball player. Like that, yeah, right? I'm, I'm a ball player. And I'm glad you brought this up because I think you're onto something, man. As a baseball player, we were always told internal rotation with the rotator cuff. This was stuff that I learned from my coaches in the 90s and early 2000s. We'd do a lot of these, do a lot of external rotations, but nothing on the back of the shoulder. And it was always like, stretch the arm out, get it stretched, get loose. And it was always these static lengthening holds. And when I started to realize and put things together, I'd say my last year of college, I was like, wait a minute, I'm not doing anything on my back here. And it was one of my coaches who played in minor league ball. He was like, he's this 80-year-old guy. And he was like, look, you got to do this. You got to work on the back of your shoulder, not just the front of your shoulder. And sure enough, when I saw Maxine and when I've been to other physios, they're like strengthen the stopper muscles. So yeah. to speak, instead of like, because they're always lengthening. Exactly. They're always lengthening. Now, that would apply to a swimmer yeah. and a football player, I'm assuming, right? I mean, with the hamstrings and yeah, yeah. your leg muscles, because if you're always kicking a ball, yeah. you're lengthening those muscles out. So, wait a minute. Would a hamstring pull happen in the shortened position or the lengthened position? Both. Both? Yeah. Often you can see a lot of injuries during the deceleration phase. Yeah. What we call the eccentric phase of the movement. So that's why in, in, that's in the rehab, yeah, yeah, in the lengthened position. So in a rehab or a prehab environment, when you're working with sports-specific athletes, you'll see that we tend to do a lot of eccentric work. Eccentric work, for people who don't know, is just the negative part of the movement or the lowering part of the movement. We would focus on a very slow, controlled contraction. Again, this is probably an area where a lot of people are doing things wrong. They focus a lot on the explosive concentric phase of the movement and they forget about that negative deceleration phase. You've got to train all planes of motion, all forms of contraction, especially if you're an athlete. Because obviously when you're out on the field or in the pool or whatever the case may be, is 
you've got no control over the external factors or the stimulus which might act on your body. So you can't just constantly keep running in a straight line. You're going to react to the environment around you. So you've got to train your body, obviously, to suit those conditions. So I think from where you might be getting to on the baseball side of things, it does get a little bit more specific because periodization then plays a big role. Yeah. So your tendency pitchers in baseball, they usually have a genetic advantage and they have a lot of joint laxity. So you mentioned earlier to Maxine that you've got a lot of range of motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you a pitcher at all? No, I was a catcher and I used to pitch, but okay. I could throw baseball harder than yeah. the average. Yeah, okay. I could throw baseball pretty hard. Then I've always said, I've told, hey, this, I'm like, it's weird. I feel like I'm a genetic anomaly because of my size, stature, and everything that I can actually throw a baseball mm. this hard. But I've had a lot of injuries with my elbow, with my rotator cuff, yeah. torn labrum, <laughs> you know, yeah. the list kind of goes on. Yes. Yeah, so, so I actually follow a lot of the kind of baseball gurus out there because um, I used to work in cricket. I'm not sure if you know much about cricket, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know a little bit about cricket. Um, I played it a couple of times. Horrible. <laughs> similar sort of stresses on the shoulder and the elbow with fielders and the bowlers. So I've done like a lot of my kind of research or mentorship through some of these guys. And what they tend to focus on a lot is obviously in season, you're doing a ton of pitching, right? So you're doing a lot of plyometrics and explosive movements. So in season, those type of exercises go out the window. You're not even going to do any of that. You're going to focus purely on maintenance and some strength work. Yeah. Right. Your off-season period is now your time to sort of build some strength and some stability. It goes a little bit further than that because then you want to be a little bit more specific to the athlete. So let's take this on a continuum. You've got one end of the continuum, you've got hypermobile. On the other end, you've got someone who's super stiff. Right? And we want to kind of move people along that continuum dependent on what their natural body's like. So you get someone who's very stiff. We try and move them a little bit more to the mobile end of that scale. You get someone who's hypermobile, want to move them a little bit closer to the stiff end of that scale. So someone in your case, probably earlier on in your career, you would have been a little bit better off focusing on more stability, strengthening rotator cuff, those deceleration muscles, as you mentioned earlier. Whereas someone who's kind of really stiff and they can't kind of get enough range of motion, that would be better doing like a ton of range of motion drills rather than a lot of stability drills. So it's very specific to the individual. No, 100%. Maxine, what's your weighing on this? Baseball, cricket. (laughs) Sort of switch gears from the questions we had earlier. Yeah, I agree with that. And I guess the injuries are different. Like, as you said, on the continuum, the stiff guy compared to the hypermobile guy, they're going to have different injuries. So we do need to prevent them by kind of getting them back into the middle with keeping range of motion, but having that strength in that range of motion. Okay, so, all right, back pain. Let's kind of go back to that one a little bit since we've talked about hyper range of motion and everything, the stopper muscles and everything. Now, personally, and this is just my personal opinion, what's worked for me is every time I have back pain and I'm diligent about doing three times a day, my plank, side plank, both sides, of course, and sort of like a spider plank or whatever, where it's Mm -hmm. a plank and I just have my legs opened out that in five days, I feel great after that. Like my lower back pain is just gone. So what are some of the exercises people can do to relieve back pain if they can't afford a physiotherapist? You know, not everybody can afford 25 to 40 KD an hour to go see a good physical therapist. And then if you go to a government hospital, you're going to get this ancient doctor who's telling you not to move. Yeah. And which is the worst thing you can do for that, you know, for an injury. So what are some of the tips and tricks that you can give people to relieve pain without seeing a physiotherapist? Okay, so I would say it depends, obviously, on the injury and what the pain is like. But I would always see if the hamstrings are long or not. So you can do this by lying on your back, bringing your 
leg up to 90 degrees, straight leg. If it cannot go all the way up to 90 degrees, you've got tight hamstrings. This is just a kind of general way to test it. Hamstrings have a big role to play on lower back, especially if you've been sitting for a long time, if you've got a desk job, hamstrings are quite important for that. I'm more of the mobility after, like if you've got back pain, I would get more mobility around the area and then strengthen specifically the lower back. So I'd stretch hamstrings, your hip flexors, your QL muscle on the sides of your back. And then from there, I'll do some stability exercises like dead bugs and core control. And yeah, that's what I would do. Such a tough question because it's such a hot topic at the moment. And understand the question that not everyone can get out there. Yeah. Sometimes it's where Instagram is amazing. Sometimes it's where Instagram is dangerous. 100%, man. 100%. Someone might pop and say six great exercises for back pain. Now, let's say someone who's got like a real disc bulge. Yeah. (laughs) Not the usual we hear, I have a disc. (laughs) Just to to clarify, we we all have discs. (laughs) I know, right? I know. When someone says that to me at work, they're like, I can't exercise because I have a disc. I was like, I got one in my office too, man. You know? So, yeah. Sorry, go So, if someone's got a… They will know about it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, you'll be in excruciating You'll be in a lot of right? Like, if you have a disc, a bulging disc. Yeah, you're going to be… Exactly. You're going to be hurting. You're going to have pain all down your leg, through the groin area. Like, it's… Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's pretty horrible. So let's take this individual and, and they go on Instagram and, say, and they see, all right, six hamstring exercises for back pain, hamstring stretching, <laughs> dead bugs and core exercises. It's probably not the best for no. them to be doing at all. Someone maybe with more chronic related back pain for being inactive for such a long period of time, maybe their dyspnea muscles are a little bit weak. Yeah, they would be better off doing like a ton of dead bugs, core control, even stressing the lower back a little bit, actually working. Building muscle yeah. around the spine. Yeah, so it's again, it's dependent on the individual. If you're someone who's in excruciating pain, first recommendation is go, go to a doctor. Go to your doctor. Yeah. <laughs> if it's more chronic related and something that, let's say it's like a four, five out of 10, and it's something that you've been struggling with consistently for a long period of time, then you can probably get away with yeah. doing some of these stretching and strengthening exercises. Do a combination of both. There's no harm unless you're hypermobile <laughs> and you're doing a ton of stretching. But again, if you're not stretching the joint to end range, you'll probably be fine. You might just be applying a little bit of a stretch to the muscle. You're not actually going to lengthen that muscle much. You might have a small window of where the muscle gets a little bit longer. But overall effect, that, that muscle is not getting longer and longer and longer. You just sort of desensitize in the area which might be in a bit of pain. So yeah, I think it's kind of dependent on the individual. But for most cases, it would be actually get out there and do something. Be more active. Yeah, no, 100%. And uh, when I went to Maxine for the first time, she was like, okay, touch your toes. I could not touch my toes for my life. Like I was, I was, I was like barely past my kneecaps. And that's when she was like, all right, you have really tight hamstrings. Yeah. So part of what she gave me was exercises to stretch out the hamstrings, stretch out my hip flexors, everything. Right now, I don't have a problem with lower back pain. I only have that problem when I'm sitting for like eight hours and I can't move from my desk. Yeah. But usually I get up and I stretch. I make sure to like, especially my legs to get the blood flow back in. So I've been very good with that. <laughs> I've been very good with that. And if I lift really heavy with bad technique or bad posture, I'll get some back pain because yeah. I'll incorporate more of my lower back in some of my lifts, which is normal. You know, yeah. I've come to accept that. Like I just have piss poor recruitment patterns in some lifts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm trying to fix them. But how important is consistency? Because people are like, oh, I've been doing this for two days and nothing's happened. Yeah. You know, so it's like in reality… You didn't get like this in two days. Yeah. yeah. You got like this in two years. 
So how important is it to be consistent and actually stick with the process throughout it all? Oh, it's so important, but people don't. Like, uh, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I know what I need to do, but I'll do it like once a month or something when it really bothers me. But you need to, if you are committed to get 100%, it won't take as long as you think. It will take, what, like maybe two to three months of actually, you'll see progress along the way. You'll see it happening. Even if we, like, let's talk about like a serious injury. Let's say like ACL reconstruction. You're looking at nine months before that person's probably getting back to sport again. Oh, wow. wow. So I think the same as like, even someone with some chronic related pain, as you rightfully mentioned, like how long have you been in this position which has been causing you pain? Sometimes it's some three to five years. And I think this kind of addresses one of your questions about what is kind of one of the big pet peeves or one of the misconceptions about physical therapy and rehab is that people think it's going to be a short process and they get to lie there and kind of be pampered. It's completely the opposite. It's long, it's hard, it's challenging. You have to stress the body if you want the body to adapt and change. So it's rehab is difficult and it's supposed to be difficult. And I think even a lot of physios out there, I don't think they're knowledgeable enough about the strength and conditioning field. And that's an area that they need to start really branching into because, and this is from my side, maybe this is where we differ a little bit, but I think this is the most beneficial way to get someone back to living a healthy and normal lifestyle is they've got to get stronger. They've got to do a lot of strength work in the right type of, obviously, environment. They go through the right phases. I'm not saying someone who's sort of gone through ACL reconstruction day one, I'm putting a barbell on their back and trying them to squat. Of course not. There's obviously progression patterns you have to follow, but it's long and it's difficult. And when you're in that rehab setting and you're with your physio or whatever therapist you're using, you should feel at the end of that session pretty exhausted. Like the equivalent of having a really tough strength training day or like running a tough 10K or something. That's kind of the level you should be at. You should be at an 8 out of 10 tired. Yeah. No, it's understandable. (laughs) I mean, if you look at, I think it's Durant, Kevin Durant from the Golden State Warriors. He just tore his Achilles. Yeah. And he's in the midst of like, this was his contract year. This was his golden ticket for life. And right now, it's like, oh, will he be able to come back from an Achilles tear? Mm -hmm. Right now, I think with the way physical therapy and strength training is going, the direction that it's going compared to the 90s and 80s and even early 2000s, I think it's evolved so much where you have to kind of combine the strength training with the physical therapy side of it. So Maxine, I'd love to hear your perspective on the strengthening part. Because I've been to a lot of physical therapists that don't know anything about strength training. Yeah. In fact, they gave me the basic exercises where, and I'm not saying you specifically, but yeah. I'm saying other physiotherapists, especially here in Kuwait and a couple in the States too. They'll give me the basic exercises and that's it. And I'm like, okay, well, we're not going to do reverse chest supported reverse flies. We're not going to do bear hugs where you take a band, wrap it around a pole and you're doing a bear hug, so to speak. And they're like, no, just follow these exercises. I'm like, okay. You yeah. know, like, and I'm sitting there questioning because I have a deep background of strength training. Yeah. So what's your perspective on that? So from defending the physios, we're assessing the problem and we're trying to fix it manually. You can fix it with strength as well. But a lot of the time in our careers, clients, they do not stick to the strength training. So at the end of the day, you become more manually involved to get this person better because you know that if you're doing it, it will get them better because you know that when you give them this exercise to take home, they're either not going to do it right or they're not going to do it. So it's really hard to pick out those people that are going to do it. And I would tell you now, 90% of the people will not do it at home. 
I'll ask them, have you done your exercises at home? They're like, what exercise? And I'm like, oh, okay. So you haven't done it. <laughs> you know? That must so, piss you guys off. Uh, you that know, really you, must you piss get you used. Off. That's the thing. You get used to it. So you're like, okay, well, they're not going to do their exercises. This person's not committed. But you should always give some specific exercise to see if that client is going to do it. So I would give my client maybe one or two exercises that may not be super specific, but will help to see if they do it. So by the next time I see them, have you done your homework? And they say, yes, I did. And it actually helped or no, actually, this didn't really help. Then I'll know that's the kind of person that will need to go for rehab. A lot of people are lazy, so they don't do that part. But that's why Jarrett's role, being in the movement therapy role, is so important. And that's why we need to work together as a team. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think also a big thing that maybe kind of coincides with what we're discussing is if we need to address like a, the fear factor component of it. So usually someone who's come in who's, who's injured, maybe they've seen four or five doctors, a couple of physios, and they're coming in to see you again now. They're probably a little bit disheartened. They haven't got better from in or else. And they come in and they, they see someone like me and I'm going, oh, well, you just need to get stronger. Just do some strength training. Right? In their mind, they're going, well, I don't feel like I need that. Mm. So there has to be a guideline to follow. And that's where obviously the manual therapy and the dry needling and some of the hands-on approach can be really beneficial because you can get someone feeling a little bit more comfortable with your approach and you can gradually start getting them into more movement-based rehab. So it, yeah, it's a bit of a catch-22 and both components are really important. You've got to take the individual as well, the and, patient who's coming in. And communicate with them. I think that's my biggest thing that I, why I'm quite good at my job is that I'm very communicative. I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think we just invented a word communicative. <laughs> <laughs> I communicate with them. Like, I will be like, will you do the exercises? And then they'll look at me and they'll say, yes. Then I'll say, will you? <laughs> will you really do the exercises? And then they're like, well, I don't know. And I, <laughs> so you kind of get a guideline on that. So, yeah. I, for me, I think your biggest attribute is that you're so passionate about it. Yeah. And people can feel that. So there might be, there's probably a ton of other physios in Kuwait probably just as skilled as you with dry needling, with hands-on. But because of your passion and your dedication to each patient that comes in, they're going to be reliant on you now. So it's a big, mm. big factor in rehab is the psychological effect. If you're comfortable yeah. with someone, you're going to feel better. If someone's a little bit dismissive of you and they're going, I've got 15 patients to get through today. I don't have time to deal with your problems. So sometimes it's not even about the treatment. Sometimes it's just listening to someone who might be having some issues outside the realm of the rehab setting. They might have problems at home or it um, is a big, big factor. You yeah. have to get into that. You have to get the psychological point of view out. So yeah. you guys, your profession's kind of evolved from yeah. just being a normal, like, I mean, I would say it probably started with being a masseuse all the way into the dry needling, the physical therapy, the strength training now, and now you're a head shrink. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> you know. Honestly, by the end of the day, I'm not so physically exhausted. I'm it's, mentally yeah, exhausted. Mentally. Makes sense. Because you have to be um, very empathetic with every single one of your patients. You have to listen to them. I think it's, it's really important that we educate and explain the process and how long it's going to take and why you've got this pain. So think about doing that for 10, 11 hours every day. It's, <laughs> it's mind-draining. Yeah, makes sense. And, and one person can make your day help. Like for the rest of the day, you can be like fixated on that client. So it's also psychological on our sides. Mm -hmm. So yeah. That's why we do need to rest. On, on the plus side, though, when I think what's also important is that 
it's a really empowering feeling for us when, yeah. when we've had a patient who's been in a lot of pain for, for yeah. ages. And through some form of our treatment or psychological reasons, whatever the case may be, they're feeling better. So to change someone's life is quite an incredible feeling. I think that's why we do what we do. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. That's really admirable. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like that, that, that is. Um, I was going to say, like my wife, hey, she's yeah. meant to see you. She never does her exercises. <laughs> I'm going to rat her out on the podcast. But then you get guys like myself, like, I'm very like, if you give me exercises to do to get better, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then you get guys like Rob also. I'm assuming he's yeah. like, that guy's probably like a soldier. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Believe me, he'll do more exercises than what I tell him to do. <laughs> does that, now, does that piss you off too? Does that get you guys like, now you're just doing too much and you're aggravating the problem. Because some people will go overboard and they'll say, oh, but I saw this on Instagram. Or I saw this trainer who has 50,000 followers. He was like, oh, do this. So I did what you told me to do and I added this. And you're like, you idiot. You're just adding to that. You're just aggravating your brachialis muscle more, <laughs> you know, by doing wrist curls or something. So where's your, how do you guys feel about that when people just keep adding to their program? Okay, first of all, I think, so there's different cases. Like with Rob, he's definitely finding ways to help the situation. And we both need to find it because it's a bit of a complicated issue. But with someone who's not knowledgeable in the field is coming to you and saying, or sends you a DM saying, what about this exercise? And then you look at the exercise and you're like, oh my God. Do you, no. you feel like everything you explained to them everything, just went out the window? Yeah, yes, They're pretty much. you the opposite movements. Yeah, so... So then you realize actually how they did not actually understand anything you said. So you have to re-explain and re-educate and keep on re-educating, which I'm actually not very good at. I'm not good at explaining. I'm not good at educating. I will just say, just trust the process. No, you're pretty good. No, you're really good at explaining. Like, in, in all honesty, you're pretty good at explaining. Like, when I went in to see you, I understood yeah. pretty much everything you said. I can speak to you on a different level. Okay, Whereas if I, if in layman's terms… It just go, like, goes right over there. For head. other people. <laughs> it's just like, I'm like, okay, and if you're doing hyperextension here, and, and they're just like, <laughs> <laughs> Now, from the strength perspective, because sometimes less is more when strength training. Yeah. Especially strength training. I fell into that trap where I was the idiot in the gym that I always thought, okay, well, I want to build my chest. Let me do 15 chest exercises, heavy dips, heavy this, heavy that, and always trying to max out, max out. And only now my understanding, well, not now, but a couple of years ago, I'd say that sometimes less is more. And doing five quality exercises, yeah. you actually get more benefit and more muscle growth yeah. than doing the 15 or 16. So how does that play in from your perspective? Because you work on the strength side of it. Yeah. And when you get idiots like me a couple of years ago <laughs> that would come in and say, yeah, you know… I." You told me to do 10 exercises, I did 15. You told me to do 10 sets, yeah. I did 20, man. And I maxed out on my weight. You know, how does that make you feel? Do you just cringe your teeth and be like, dude? Yeah, it's, it's very frustrating. The hardest is to deal with people who come in with a bit of an ego and they've been doing like some strength training for a while. So they know better already, according to them. That's the most challenging when you've prescribed some exercises and they've come back, well, I've done all these other ones, which I found. And it's almost a bit of a slap in your face because they've gone, your exercises... They were okay, but I decided to look for some other ones which were better than your ones. You're going, all right, well, that's fine as long as we're on the right path. But if they've come back and gone, I've done these exercises, you're going, well, that's completely against your rehab plan. Like you're doing things which are going to aggravate it more. Mm. So if it's someone who's a little bit undereducated, then I can be like, okay, fine. 
I can roll with it. If it's someone who's smart enough and they've just got an ego, that's on them. I say, fine. If you're not willing to listen, I'll wait till you come back in a couple of months with the same pain and we'll start again. I think in the beginning, I used to just bang my head against the wall and it's just too energy draining. And I think I got to the point now to understand that you can't force everyone to do it your way. And I'm not saying my way is the best way by any means. There's obviously, there's lots of different ways to do it. But if someone's come to seek my advice or to get better or to feel better, to feel less pain, then I would expect that they should listen and follow that procedure. Because there's no point of coming to ask for advice from any physio or rehab specialist and then just deciding, no, no, I'm going to do it my way. It's better. I think you're wasting both people's time. Yeah, no, that's understandable. And I think when you were talking about the psychology of pain earlier, one thing that made me feel better was when Maxine was like, oh, your flexibility's improved a lot. And it just kind of clicked in. And then all of a sudden, like the back pain slowly reduced a little bit more. So when you don't, when you have someone with a big ego that comes in, they're not going to buy into it. So ultimately, they're just not going to believe in the process, which will force them to kind of, I mean, pain is psychological at the end of the day. It really is. Your sensation of pain varies from a kid to an adult. There's a kid who could fall down, break his arm, and he's running around two hours later mm. versus an adult that will yeah. sit, sit there for like six days saying, crying about their arm. Yeah. You know, because pain's a perception. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, with the psychological factor of that, if they have an ego, yeah. is that harder for them to believe in the process and believe they'll get better? You yeah. know, versus when you say, hey, your range of motion looks better, and they go, but. They use the word but. Yeah. And that kind of throws everything out the window. Yeah. So I deal with a lot of clients that, okay, if I see a client first time, I know already if they're going to do this or not. And you can tell. You can tell the type of person they are. So sometimes you have to get angry and you have to really shout at them and say, you are here for a reason. If you want to get better, then listen to me. If you don't want to get better, then go. I'm not forcing you to be here. This is, I've had to sit down a few clients and then their attitude changes. Yes, it's a bit forward and people might think it's like, why are you doing that? But it's important to be on the same page. If you're never going to be on the same page, it's not going to work. Yeah, it's, it's a fine line between being it's, really yeah. caring and, and soft and then being a yeah. little bit stern and strict. That's when you, you have to actually just change your attitude. Then they see it. Yeah, and then there's also some that are just like sad and you have to kind of be empathetic. But then at a point you have to say, look, you are causing this pain. You can't keep coming back like this. You have to change your attitude. So Yeah, that's the psychological side of it for yeah. sure, which is massive. Yeah, it's also very individual specific, I think. I keep going back to this because, so let's take your patient like Rob, for example. Rob's an athlete, a crossfitter. If he came in with an injury and you said, right, Rob, stop doing any kind of training for now. Just mm -hmm. go do like some external rotation work for your shoulder. It's probably the worst thing to do. Like if we think about CrossFit, it's very community-based. You want to be there with your friends training. So the worst thing is to take him out of his natural setting, sit in the corner and go do some like external rotation. This guy wants to be in there. So you can maybe say, right, let's reduce the amount of muscle-ups you're doing or ring muscle-ups, but continue to squat and whatever else you want to do. And I think that's really important as well. Take the person for who they are. If it's someone who like, loves their training, don't take it away from them. Let them keep training. Maybe just yeah, limit I, what's causing some of that pain. Yeah. You never tell someone to stop training. They know if they can't train. Yeah. You know? <laughs> they won't train if they're not. And yeah. sometimes you actually have to force people to get back into training. Some people are too scared to go to train. And then yeah. you're like, just go. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Yeah. So, so there, was, yeah. there, was a, there was a course last year here that I attended by a guy called Jacob Harden. 
It was an amazing course. I would recommend anyone in, in Kuwait who's interested in this field. I think he comes once a year to go do the course. But what he was talking about to us is, and this word really stuck with me, and I use it a lot with my patients now, is this work to a tolerable scale. All right? So if you can tolerate it, work within that. If it's too painful, stop. Mm. It's obviously going to be different for certain people because as you said, pain is it's perception. But if you can tolerate it, right, and you can gradually build yourself back into a position which is comfortable and you're not feeling that pain, you're safe, you're good to go. So you building that tolerance level back up, that perception is obviously is changing. So for person A, that tolerance might be 2 out of 10 and they're going, oh, I'm in way too much pain, I can't continue. For person B, that might be 6 out of 10. They go, I got high pain threshold. I'm going to work through it. So you've also got to understand the, the different type of people. Is this person really working hard enough to get enough from their rehab? And is this person working too much? So yeah, it is tricky. And you've got to adjust it based on their personalities as well. Yeah. So with it being so tricky, I mean, because the deeper you guys dive into this, the more like I'm looking at it like, damn, like how do you guys figure out what's actually causing the problem or the root cause of these problems? And you said it earlier where you look at everything surrounding the mm. pain area, so to speak. It's such a difficult thing. And I mean, has physical therapy or physios, now you guys are truly evolving into a whole different realm compared to, I'd say, 15, 10 years, five years yeah. ago. I mean, five years ago, you wouldn't have physios looking up and down and all over. You just see them, all right, well, we'll stick a needle in your arm, you yeah. know, because that was hot five years ago. Yeah. Dry needling was like the thing five years. It was just dry needling. I remember everyone I saw back then was like, oh, we'll dry needle you. you yeah. Know, that's it. And they didn't really give me exercises or anything. And that's also a thing in Kuwait. It's like people know me for dry needling, but I literally dry needle maybe for about five to 10 minutes in my treatment. The rest is all manual moving the joint. I'm releasing the muscles, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's evolved completely. Well, we got taught the basics with the electrical stimulation and the tens Does that crap even work? That. Does that crap even work? Because I, I, I bought the little machine. I've tried it. I'm like, this shit is like, <laughs> it's like the shaker weight. You know, it's yeah. as bad as the BOSU ball. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's scientifically based. It does have an effect, but there's things that have more of an effect, which mm -hmm. is deep tissue, trigger point release, dry needling. Those things have more of an effect than just having a tens machine slapped on your back. What can be quite useful is really early phase rehab. So if we're trying to go back to my ACL guy. <laughs> so early phase ACL, you need to get some quad activation. That's when you can maybe use like the electrical yeah. system to help get some activation of the muscles. But if you kind of later stage and you're trying to use electrical system, no, you're better off loading that muscle, stressing it so it can adapt and get stronger. And use your brain. People are lazy. Yeah, that's so that's so true. I mean, but I guess you nipped it in the butt earlier when you said it depends. I mean, mm. for me personally, cold does not work. Yeah, yeah. heat works perfectly yeah. for me. Like if I yeah. if I go in an ice bath or if I use ice, it's almost like it makes it worse. Versus yeah. if I take a really hot bath and soak my body, like just soak the joints that hurt, I feel great. Yeah, for the next like five days, I'm like, all right, heat just works for my body. And Sona works it for is, my body. Yeah. We are going in more of a direction of heat than ice. And that's… I think I like… Oh, oh that's awesome. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. That's, that is good to hear. I'm so glad. You're on the right track. I, I'm, I'm not an ice person. Okay. Like everyone will be like, oh, I'm going for an ice bath or the cryo. Cryo. Oh my God. Cryo is like the hottest <laughs> thing in Kuwait. No, no. I'm doing cryo. Don't worry about it. It's yeah. like, dude, 15 seconds of cryo is not going to help you once a week. Yeah. Realistically speaking. Yeah. Like the thing is what people don't understand is that, okay, you can do cryo for recovery, but 
Is it effective? I mean, what's more effective? You're right. And who's it for? Yeah. Who's it for? Because for a high level athlete, yes, it's probably more effective versus the average Joe. I mean, cryo is almost like splitting hairs, like in terms of recovery. You can't really judge it that much. And the consistency of it is difficult because it's costly unless you're being sponsored, which most of these athletes are. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I I just think, I mean, I haven't done research on cryo specifically because it's a lot of three-minute, very, very low temperatures. Whereas I do remember reading that ice baths at a certain temperature did have an effect, but… We're kind of in a stage with the research at the moment where there's nothing that's black or white at the moment. Yeah. We're kind of in that gray area where it all is summed up by it depends. So, I don't think we can say that Chirotherapy or ice baths are not effective. We know, we know physiologically more... that it's probably not effective. Well, yeah, it, physiologically it, it, it's not. But if, yeah. if, but if you walk out and then you go, oh, I feel great. Well, then it's been effective. Then for the you. psychological exactly, factor. So. But I mean, if you really look at it, if you're a high level athlete and after you train, you go and do cryo directly or if you do ice directly, I mean, what does that do to inflammation? It dulls it down, mm. correct? Yeah. And we need inflammation for muscle growth. You yeah. know, we know that. That's yeah. a given fact. I mean, I don't know what heat does for it. I've actually never really looked into that. I've always looked into the other side of it because I hate like cold therapy. So I always looked into that to stump those arguments. But for me personally, with heat, if I have a heavy deadlifting day, I'm trying to get into a sauna. Yeah. I get into the sauna. sauna is actually got physiological effects. If you do a sauna four times a week, 12 minutes in the day, you can reduce a lot of chronic inflammation in the body for future. It's been proven. I think all these things are good, but if we're going to talk about recovery post any kind of training, there's two things which are important. And then the most important things. And if you cover them, then the other more gimmicky things won't really be necessary. If you get enough sleep and if your nutrition is right. Yeah. Those two things are the two major components when it comes to recovery. Sure, you can use other things to assist you. And especially if you're an athlete, you might need a little bit more of some sort of sauna or maybe sports massage or whatever the case may be, whatever your preference is, those things can definitely assist you. But if you're not ticking boxes of sleep and nutrition, I think you're wasting your time. Those are the two major factors. For sure. Right? 100%. 100%. All right. So to wrap this up a little bit, all right, what's the biggest disagreement you guys have? I mean, you guys are like the power physiotherapy couple. <laughs> I'm sure there's like one topic where you guys disagree on, whether it's like hypermobile or whatever. Like what's something that you guys... Well, let me explain it this way. So... Before we started working together, I was in the, specifically in strength and conditioning. So I worked solely with elite athletes. I was doing no rehab work. So I was doing a lot of periodization, a lot of sports science, testing. And when we moved to Kuwait, we both moved into the rehab role, which was very new for me. So Maxine's obviously always been a physio. And initially, when we first started off, there's a lot of arguments. I wanted <laughs> a, to do just a lot of strength training with with a lot of sedentary athletes. But high end. Yeah. So it was a lot of things like more explosive movements, Closer to sort of three RM kind of things. And because this is what I was used to. This is my yeah. background. So I had to be <laughs> sat down one day and told off a few times <laughs> that you can't do this with someone who's got some kind of injury. And a lot of the people we see now are not athletes. This was one thing. Someone might come and say, Yeah, I'm an athlete. And okay, well, what is your sport? I do some recreational like triathlons. Okay. When was the last triathlon you did? Like six months ago. I, I do them like maybe once every four months. Okay. You're not really a high level athlete though. And I think this was the biggest kind of argument we had. Argument we had that I wanted to just do a lot of strength based work. And I had to learn to kind of tailor it down and to follow a, a process. So we kind of like going, well, I did give you more, I just gave you more of a rehab base. Yeah. And then coming, you were on that end of the continuum and I was at this end. 
Yeah, and, and earlier on, I wasn't so obsessed with my anatomy, which was probably the biggest mistake. If you're in the field and you don't know your anatomy, you're already fighting a losing battle. If you don't know the action of certain muscles, then I don't know how you're really justifying why you're doing that movement with the patient. So yeah, in the beginning, I was kind of just general blanket approach, get everyone stronger, they'll be fine. And I've since learned through Maxine. So she was my teacher. Um, <laughs> pains me to say it. Uh, our, our wives <laughs> usually are, man. Our, yeah. our wives usually are, to be honest. With you. I mean, <laughs> hey, as I was like, do it this way, do it this way. And then like six months later, I'm like, yeah, all right, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. But I think now we've kind of, kind of we, we kind of found. We will debate on certain like clients. So like sometimes he has the same client as me. So we will debate on that kind of thing and can get quite yeah, quite um, aggro. But that's an awesome <laughs> until team we approach you become, guys have. Yeah, until we come to a point. Like I'll be like, no, I don't think it's necessary to do that. And then it's like, well, I'm going to do it. And then it works, you know? So then you're like, okay, well, it worked. So. <laughs> but that, that's, that's great for the client because yeah. You, yeah. you have two very educated individuals that are debating over you, trying to figure out what works. Yeah. And eventually, you're going to come up with a theory that does work. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and right now, from what you guys said, a lot of physiotherapy and a lot of strength training too is theoretical-based. Yeah. We truly don't know. And I had this argument with Liam a while back on the yeah. show in one of our episodes that we truly don't know what actually works. Like, the human body is so complex. Yeah. It's so complex. And it's evolving day after day. I mean, what was it? Two years ago, they were like, oh… Fat's bad for you, heart problems, whatever. And no, no, fat's okay. It's sugar that's the problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like yeah. everything you've been telling us for like 30 years, you guys have just lied about, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, sugar's the issue. It's like, dude, so do you really know anything in terms of the medical field? And they do. It's just, yeah. it's slowly evolving, I think. Yeah. And I think for most physios out there, they need to just stick to basics. Go back to what... When you say basic, you mean like more hands-on approach? No, I, I mean like your principles, range of motion, just sticking to the basics. No, it makes sense. Same yeah. thing with strength Simple training. Simple exercises. Yeah, sure. yeah, like these people doing weird things with bands and, <laughs> and this band going you. around this way, that one going, pulling you that way. And in the end of the day, you're not actually doing the movement. The bands yeah. are doing the movement. Yeah, you got to control point. your body. You've got to use your brain. That's a good point. No, you're 100% right. That neurological that muscle memory. I mean, yeah. I'm doing CrossFit. And yesterday, literally, I took a box, put it underneath the bar. I'm trying to learn butterfly push-ups. Yeah. And I was just trying to just go through the motion of it, trying to get that neural pathway built so that I can try and do it exactly. without a box underneath me. No exactly. bands are going to help you. It's not, it's not. Like, if anything, using a crutch is just going to hurt you. Yeah. So, here's my question for both of you. The BOSU ball. Yes. What do you guys think of it? Love it. I love it. Really? My favorite. I hate the BOSU ball. <laughs> I think it's the most useless tool in the world. Oh my gosh. Wait until you have a knee injury. <laughs> but I mean, I, 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 and I, I had, someone said the same thing and I was like, yeah, but there's so many other ways of fixing your knee through strength yeah. training than the BOSU ball. Yeah. It's good for your proprioception. Okay. So proprioception is the neural pathways to get balance and control in that joint. It's actually in your Golgi tendons. It's more physiological because your brain is trying to stabilize that joint because you don't have, so like it, well, let's say for an ankle sprain or an ankle complete tear, no ligaments left in your ankle. We can get them back into netball playing at an elite level without any ligaments in their ankle. But then people are like, how? That I could see. But yeah. telling someone to do bicep curls on a BOSU ball, 
Okay. That's where I see that's that's, that's the overkill. <laughs> I mean, when yeah. I was a baseball player, we did training as a catcher. I did training on a BOSU ball. Because yeah. as a catcher, someone might slide into you. You need to build up that base of staying yeah. strong at the bottom, if that yes. makes any sense, especially at the ankles. Yeah. You know, like your feet have to be planted into the ground. But when I see someone doing bicep curls on a BOSU ball or split-legged squats or one-armed whatevers, I mean, that's where I'm like, all right, it's turned into overkill nowadays. So I understand. But if it's sports-specific, then I would use it. So I would use the Swiss ball. And if they want to do weights on the Swiss ball, upper body weights, I think it's fine to do that as well as like throwing a ball or something because you have to use your core control. And it's not just strengthening your core. It's getting that balance through the hip joint, through the lumbar spine, through the knees, everything like that. I don't know. That's my opinion. Yeah, it's again, it depends. Yeah, um, sports specific. But I, I, I have a feeling I know where you're kind of going on this. A lot of people are doing it kind of for the gram and they're yeah. going, look how much I'm lifting standing on this. But I'm not sure how they can justify that. Like, yeah. why are you standing on it? Why not just do it on the ground? Exactly. If you can justify why you're using it, then use it. But if you... Just doing it because you want to, I don't know, be different, then please don't do it in front of me. <laughs> I mean, I, I, saw, I saw a guy on the Bosa ball with his client, a girl, a female trainer. Yeah. And she was throwing her client a ball. And I was literally like, I guarantee that's not a baseball player on that Bosa ball. Because I used to do that as a catcher. That was part of the stability yeah. work that I used to do. I've done it, did it in college with a couple of coaches. And I did it here in Kuwait with one of the coaches that was here. And it builds up stability while catching. But average person doesn't need to do that unless yeah. they have a serious coordination problem. Yeah. yeah. At that point, I wouldn't have them on a BOSU ball throwing them a ball. I'd just throw them a tennis ball to catch. Yeah. So what was the ball that was being thrown to them? It was a tennis ball. A tennis ball. It was a tennis ball. And they like, had... I, I don't see a problem with it. Again, like, it's not going to do any harm unless they fall off the ball, obviously. That, which could happen. Which could happen. Which could happen. In Kuwait, stability is important. So. <laughs> I, li- I, I like it. you convincing me slowly but surely yeah. on the Bosu ball. But yeah. I just... No, Bosu ball, I love it. I love Bosu ball, Swiss ball, all that physio stuff. Swiss, it, might go Swiss ball, out, yeah. it might go out of fashion or they might find something more, but it's why you're using it. A if lot we can of talk people, about it in rehab. Yeah. It's a really good progression tool to use. Yeah. So if we've got someone stable on the ground mm-hmm. and we go, all right, well, how do we make it more challenging? Let's put them on an unstable surface. So it's it's a really nice progression tool to use in the rehab setting, especially with any kind of ankle, knee, even hip a- issues. ACL, yeah, hip issues. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Liam would love this to hear this because he'd be like, <laughs> yeah, so your arguments are all stumped, Mandy. <laughs> like, he would definitely be like, yeah, your arguments are all done, Mandy. That's it. <laughs> all right, you have lost the BOSU ball argument. But the Swiss ball, I'm glad yes. you brought that up because I think it's such an underrated tool. I love and it. And I think it's forgotten in the yeah. art of strength training because I remember like four or five years ago when I first got back into working out and trying to just get strong again, doing pressing movements on the Swiss ball like a bench press or yeah. just a yeah. shoulder press with light weight, it was tough. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stabilization that exactly, goes on yeah. within the core Glutes. and your obliques. I mean, I always remember from baseball, my obliques are pretty well built. Yeah. And when I was on the Swiss ball, I was like, holy shit, this is like an oblique exercise all over again, but tenfold. Yeah. So, and shoulder stability because now your core is 
not stable and you have to press if you're using kettlebells and keep it up there while keeping your core tight, glutes active, heels pressing into the ground, then you have to bring it back down again. I love it. There we go. That's a good exercise. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 or stirring the pot. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Stirring the yeah. pot's a really good underrated movement. It's funny, all these boring movements. But do it right. That's the thing. How, how do you do it right? You have to have What, what are the biggest, uh, biggest mistakes you've seen people do? They're just stirring, stirring the pot. They sit in a, in a retracted position. <laughs> yeah, in a the retracted thoracic position. Thoracic spine is, is an extension. Lumbar spine is, Lumbar is an, an extension. extension. Butt is out. Yeah. It's the same what I see with a lot of people planking. So the good old-fashioned plank, you tend to see people… It's so hard. Like If you do it correctly. I still work on my plank because I still don't have 100%. And I do yoga. Plank is part of it. But you're, <laughs> you, So you tend to see a lot of people and going, oh, I can do this plank. I do it for two, three minutes when I'm with my PT. Go, okay, cool. Let's have a look at this plank. Um, the first it. thing you tend to see is the hips are just sagging. Yeah. Um, and often they're not pushing into what we call protraction. So they're retracting their shoulders. So they… The shoulders are sagging as well, All right. for lack of a better term. And as soon as you put someone in the correct position, so you're making sure that the anterior corsa, your obliques and rectus abdominis, they're all really active, transverse abdominis, so the deep core muscles, if they're squeezing their glutes as well and they're pushing into protraction, they maybe hold for five seconds before they go, like, I can't hold any longer. Like, what is that? That's a plank. That's how you do a correct plank. And you're getting activation pretty much all over. And that's why it's, the old school exercises are still so good. There's no need for us to be continually searching for all these fancy new exercises because... Stick to the basics. Stick to the yeah. basics. They're there for a reason. They're the most researched exercises. The, the proof's in the pudding with mm. how much activation you get in. There's been a ton of research done like EMG studies on how much activation you gain through specific movements. That's why squats, deadlifts, press movements, kind of your big four are, are still there. Yeah. Because they're giving you most... I mean, the they, most stood, out of it. they stood the test of time. Exactly. You're, right. You're 100% right, man. Question about planks. All right, I want your opinions on this because I, <laughs> yeah. I, I recently read an article and saw a study about different plank variations. Your traditional plank is actually not really wrong, but it's just a different variation. Whereas you can have an arched spine, so to speak, or you can have different spinal flexion within the plank, sort of building up different recruitment patterns. And yeah. it still works just as good as the other one. So have you guys seen the research that's come out about that or no? So or? I, I mean, yeah. which, where, where do you stand on that? For planks, but now if you're talking on your hand planks, not on the elbows, it's a little bit more difficult. So you're like in, in a press-up position, basically. Yeah. yeah. Plank, that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can totally come down. So this is, would be more specific to shoulder rehab. Then you would come into retraction, but you would still have your core tight, your glutes active, quads engaged, everything. And then you would still come back up into protraction. So you can work your scapulas in that position okay. to recruit different muscles. Yep. So that's what you're trying to but say. But even if, even if we're talking about like lower back, if someone's got like massive anterior yeah. tilt, so depending on their structure, yeah, there might be a, a slight sort of curve or dip in that lower back region. And they, regardless of how much you're trying to get them into neutral or even into kind of like a posterior tilt. Yeah, for them, their neutral still might be a slight arch in the lower back. So yeah, it's specific again to each person. That's awesome. So you guys agree with everything the project always stands with that it depends. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> it depends is always the answer. It, it depends. It's more person specific. People always ask questions just straightforward. Like, is it this or this? I'm like, well, <laughs> it could be this. 
because of this and it could be that because of that, you know? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like what came first, the chicken or the egg. It doesn't really matter, at least for me. Yes, we're, yeah, try, yes, we're trying to look matter. at the problem, but if you've got low back pain, for example, and you've got weak glutes and you're trying to say, well, did the low back pain cause the weak glutes or is it the other way around? It doesn't really matter, to be honest. We've got to fix both problems. We've still got to solve the issue of the low back pain and the weak glute muscles. And whilst we're working on that, yeah, we'd expect to see some pain release and obviously the glutes getting stronger. So we don't have to play Sherlock Holmes that much. To a degree, yes, we, we mm. kind of do have to find out what's causing it. But if there's two or three components which we know are not at the norm, yeah, we've got to fix all of them anyway. All right, that's awesome. That's great. I mean, this episode had a lot of knowledge bombs in it. <laughs> I wish I could translate it all into Arabic because I think it would be more beneficial for like the Arabic audience. Yeah. Because there's so much education in this episode and I really appreciate you guys coming on the show and, you know, Thank educating. You for having us. And I hope you guys come back on. For sure. And yeah. maybe, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, that's great. Maybe I'll do some more research and debate you guys a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you know, please. like I mean, but then I'll get stumped. I mean, shoot, <laughs> I'm just glad. I hope Liam doesn't listen to this episode because I'll never hear the end of it from him. Because <laughs> I've been making fun of the Bosu ball for like six, seven months. Actually, I always make fun of it. I don't personally. I just don't. Like it. And I think it's because of the grand man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's really what it is. But uh, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at The Project Kuwait. Thank you, and join us next time.